Hello, and welcome to PrimeMed's podcast on GLP-1 receptor agonists. We welcome Dr. Michelle McGee. Dr. McGee is an Associate Professor of Medicine at Georgetown University School of Medicine and Healthcare Sciences and a Director at the MedStar Diabetes Institute. The learning objectives of this podcast are, one, describe the efficacy, the pleiotropic properties of GLP-1 receptor agonists, two, distinguish among the available GLP-1 RAs based on mode of administration and duration of action, and three, identify ways to address common concerns presented by patients when initiating and continuing a GLP-1 RA. Before we get started, let me remind everyone that this podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from Novo Nordisk Incorporated. For more information, please visit the activity page for this podcast on www.primed.com. Hello, this podcast is going to address overcoming barriers to therapy with GLP-1 receptor agonists. I'm going to describe the efficacy and pleiotropic properties of these agents, distinguish amongst the available analogs based on their mode of administration and duration of action, and identify ways to address common concerns presented by patients when you initiate and or continue a GLP-1 receptor agonist as part of their therapeutic armamentarium for glycemic control. The first thing, uh, the first topic that I will touch upon is shared decision making. And uh, I think it becomes important in terms of buy-in to engage your patient in the decision as to whether or not you will begin to use a, a GLP-1 receptor agonist. And uh, obviously these are patients in whom you generally have sub optimal glycemic control, and you're going to be seeing multiple potential beneficial effects. These include slowing gastric emptying and attenuating the post-meal blood glucose rise, lowering in fasting blood glucoses, they augment insulin secretion, they lower glucagon levels, which are paradoxically high in type 2 diabetes, They increase satiety. They're going to lower A1C by uh, 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 typically about 1%, even in some patients perhaps a little more. And their use is associated with weight loss, which of course is important in so many of our patients with type 2. So in terms of the um, current cardiovascular disease and risk management standards of medical care in diabetes from the American Diabetes Association. GLP-1 receptor agonists are now, as I'm sure you've heard, indicated in type 2 patients with established cardiovascular disease or CKD. And they may also be added to the um, uh, therapeutic regimen in a patient with type 2 with established or multiple risk factors for atherosclerotic disease um, to reduce the risk of major adverse cardiac events. The efficacy of the GLP-1s is um, durable. And we need to be aware uh, that the change in satiety that you may see at the time of initiation of these drugs uh, may wane 
over a period of time, but does not indicate lowering of the drug effect and is not a reason to, uh, for the patient to stop taking it. These agents have a very low risk of hypoglycemia. Their action is glucose dependent. And when they're used as monotherapy, the risk of hypoglycemia is less than 5%. Because of this risk, um, we do tend to stop sulfonylureas, which also promote hypoglycemia at the time of initiation of a GLP-1. And if a patient is taking insulin, uh, they need to be aware that, that do the dose may need to be adjusted downward if they have a, a particularly robust response to the GLP-1 receptor analog. Most but not all users will lose weight. Uh, on average, it's in the 2 to 10 pound range, and that weight loss plateaus over time. So it's a modest weight loss, but uh, it also means that they are not gaining weight over time, and, and that is also important in terms of their glycemic management. Now, I think we've all had patients who come in and tell us that the, the TV ads are telling them these agents can be dangerous. And the kind of common misconceptions are around thyroid contraindications. So in terms of the adverse effects, if we want to think about the actual risk, when um, the GLP-1s are compared to placebo, uh, they have a slight but non-significant increase in risk of acute pancreatitis. Um, there is no significant increase in risk for any cancers. And um, so the, these are the kinds of things that you can incorporate into your discussions with your patients. So now we come to kind of matching and selecting the um, GLP-1 receptor analog to meet your patient's needs. Um, we have uh, the option of a once-a-day injection with liraglutide or Victoza, or a once-weekly injection. Now we have three choices, exenatide ER, uh, which is also called bidurian or B-size, dulaglutide, which is trulicity, and semaglutide, which is ozempic. And that is a discussion with the patient. Do you want to take it once daily? Do you want to take it once weekly? In the beginning, we wondered if patients would remember to take it once weekly, but they certainly seem to be able to fit this into their regimen. And many really like the concept of just taking a shot once weekly. If you have a patient who's particularly needle-phobic, um, dulaglutide or trulicity has the needle attached to the device and it is concealed. And, and so that may help you to overcome that problem. And, and then finally, we do also have, of course, the uh, possibility of oral administration using semaglutide or rebelsis. So practical pointers um, for the weekly agents, which certainly seem to be becoming widely accepted by patients and prescribed by providers. Uh, there's the advantage of, of less injections and thereby less discomfort from the shots. 
Uh, there is, however, when you take a once weekly agent, a lag time from the start of the medication to when it becomes effective. There is an advantage of flexible timing within 24 to 36 hours. Uh, the kind of partner challenge to that is forgetting to take the injection and you need to assist the patient with a memory prompt um, for forgetting the for remembering to take the injection, for example, marking it on the calendar in their kitchen, a strategy that they can follow easily. Uh, the once weekly is certainly easier for patients who tend to travel um, and you need um, fewer pen tip needles when you're using these agents. So the patient needs to select the day of the week that they remember to take the drug. If they miss the dose of the drug, they need to take it as soon as possible. The duration is usually greater than one week, and so they should not experience lapse in glycemic control if they, if they miss a dose and then make it up. If they go more than two days off schedule, uh, we consider asking them to wait until the next scheduled dose to begin again. And in some cases, uh, basal insulin coverage may be needed for the intervening period if they have missed more than two days. When we think about aural semaglutide, it's taken on an empty stomach 30 minutes prior to a meal, cannot be taken at the same time as any other medications, and is taken only with a sip of water. You also need to uh, take into consideration scheduling other medications with dose timing requirements, such as levothyroxine, which makes it important to work out the window of time in which the patient will take this agent with them um, so that it is taken in a fashion that will make it, enable it to be effective. If this is the first injectable that you're starting a patient on, uh, they do need to see an educator for hands-on education. There are demonstration devices for each of these agents, and, and we typically ask the patient to do a return demonstration after we've taught them how to take it. And we need to assess their ability to use it based on vision and manual dexterity. Ideally, we like to give the first injection in the office so that they go away having known that they can do it. And um, it, each device has its nuances. If they're using the dulaglutide pen, uh, the patient will hear clicks as the um, dose is, is dialed in, and, and that um, enables them to know they're doing it correctly. And um, if they're using a liraglutide device with a multiple dose dial, they need to know how to do titration of that agent. They need to know about safe disposal of sharps. And I would remind you, because we see it quite often as patients are discharged from the hospital, if you're prescribing a pen, you do need to also prescribe pen needles in a separate prescription from the pen device. Uh, the patient needs to know that they need to change the needle after each dose because non-delivery of drug can be caused by a clogged needle tip. The needle gauge is very small and short, and so they need to be sure that they're injecting fully beneath the skin and wait 6 to 10 seconds before they withdraw the needle to avoid wasting some of the dose as the pen is withdrawn.
they sh need to do an air shot to check flow only before the initial injection with each pen and extra pens are refrigerated. And then finally, uh, um, coping with adverse effects, particularly nausea and in section, injection site reactions. We start these agents with a low dose. All of the clinical trials showed us that if we start low and titrate slowly, uh, that there will be less in the way of GI side effects. If you go up on a titration step and the patient develops nausea, you can back down to the prior dose that they were tolerating. Um, semaglutide offers the possibility of doing intermediate doses to the standard titration doses of the agent uh, because when they hear the clicks on the pen, uh, they can have lower increments on a dose. Patients who are having nausea should try smaller meals and they should stop eating when they feel full. It also may be helpful to reduce the fat content of meals. Um, th these side effects are often self-limiting and an anti-emetic is only used as a last resort. I would personally have qualms about continuing the agent if I needed to add an anti-emetic to the regimen. Uh, vomiting is actually pretty rare. In the real world, it occurs in about 1 in 20 patients. Um, and, and so if that happens, uh, the patient may continue to have um, symptoms uh, for 24 to 48 hours after the dose. And it's important for them to maintain hydration during this period to avoid um, adverse events. Uh, finally, the injection sites, you may get redness or a nodule. Uh, one is asked not to rub or to apply heat. They're self-limiting but can last for up to three weeks, may be avoided by rotating injection sites. And um, those are kind of tips for your patients to cope with the more common adverse side effects. So again, I think these are powerful agents. Uh, they're placed strategically now in our management algorithms for patients with type 2 diabetes. Uh, they have multiple potential beneficial effects. And uh, I think if you have a good shared decision-making process with your patient and start with a low dose and titrate slowly, that you have a good uh, potential for being able to avail of the benefits that these agents offer our patients. Thank you for listening. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit.